Well, welcome to Destiny Church Edinburgh. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and uh, welcome to our time together. And whether this is a regular moment for you or you're joining us for the first time, let me add my welcome to the guys who are hosting today. So great to have you connecting. God is with us. Let's pray and ask God that he will speak to us as we turn to the Bible. Father, thank you that you know each and every person who's connecting today. And uh, for those who watch it on a rerun, we ask, thank you that you're with us. We ask just now as we turn to the Bible, the words of Jesus Christ, that you'd speak right into our hearts. I pray even if this is an unfamiliar experience for some, maybe this is they're joining church for the first time today, I pray, God, that even though it's unfamiliar, I pray, God, that they would hear you speak to them and literally their lives would be impacted positively. God, we invite you to help me now and help us here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in a series we've entitled Recalibrate Your Life and We're basing it on some of the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 7, where he really does get us to ask some big fundamental questions in life. And the question we're going to answer today is, uh, who are you listening to? And that's the question that Jesus points to us. Let me start just with a story. I remember when I've got two kids, Becky, who's uh, 19, and Michael, who's 17. Now, when Michael was just a little boy, just a toddler, and we were potty training him, uh, I remember we would... We, would, uh, we were quite strategic. We'd put him on his potty in front of CBBs with a beaker of apple juice, okay? So we figured displacement, you know, what goes in must come out. So he'd sit there and, and we give him an incentive that if you manage to do a pee, we will give you a sweetie. So there was a bit of an incentive there. Anyway, we, he, there he was. He had his gla- beaker of apple juice on his potty watching CBBs, you know, Teletubbies or something. And then next thing he knows, he runs through and said, I did a wee-wee, I did a wee-wee. I said, oh, well done, Michael. And I went through, and sure enough, in the potty was a kind of greeny, yellowy color liquid, sorry. Uh, and I, I took it through, to, and his beaker of apple juice was empty. And I took it through to the bathroom just to pour it out. And I got a whiff of apple juice as I was pouring out. I thought, now, I didn't do the taste test. Okay, I couldn't bring myself to do the taste test. But I got a distinct whiff of apple juice. And I thought seriously did he I mean he's only a toddler could he figure that one out I mean when we get to heaven we're going to be asking some big questions right some of you are going to ask did Adam have a belly button I'm probably going to ask did he pour the beaker of apple juice into the potty in order to get the sweetie or has he got a crazy fast metabolism or was that just a coincidence (laughs) I will not know I will not know Uh, but anyway he got his sweetie and uh, I got a story ha sometimes things aren't the way they seem. Jesus talks about this, and this is quite serious, that sometimes things that we think are innocent are not innocent. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 onwards. He says, beware of false teachers, false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree, every healthy tree, bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, neither can a diseased tree bear good fruit. If every tree is, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, 
Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. I mean, just like often with the teachings of Jesus, it's just, wow, it's really, really challenging. One of the things that got Jesus consistently into trouble was the the Jews expected a Messiah who was going to come and deliver them from their oppressors, who were the Romans. But what you find is that Jesus, he never really challenged or decried the Romans. I mean, he didn't take on the Romans at all. Instead, he took on the religious Jews. I mean, they said, no, no, take on the Romans. That's what the Messiah is meant to do. But instead, Jesus, instead of taking on the Romans, he took on people who pretended to be religious, but didn't really have a relationship with God, but actually used religion as their way of deceiving people. And this was one of the things that Jesus did. In every generation, folks, the danger to true faith isn't the persecution from the secular world. Persecution to true faith is off-track and distorted messages that come from inauthentic believers who don't have a relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So here's the plan. I'm going to unpack the verses we've just read very quickly. Then I'm going to give you five fruits that you can look for to warn you against false prophets. All right, so let's unpack the verses. Let's go back to the verse, the first verse, verse 15. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, <clears throat> but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus wasn't a relativist. You know, a lot of people today are relativists. You know, every opinion is equally valid. No, that wasn't Jesus's view. You didn't see that every opinion is equally valid. You know, you know, the relativist would say, oh, there's no such thing as right and wrong you, as long as you're sincere and true to your own beliefs. Jesus was not a relativist. I mean, look how strong he is. He calls people who would lie in the name of God wolves. That's strong language. How serious is truth? What you believe, what you say, how serious is that as far as God's concerned? It's of ultimate, ultimate value. And that's why Jesus uses such strong language. Throughout history, I mean, we've seen, if you look over the years, the wars down through history. And we see the terrible, for example, last century in World War II, 75 million people lost their lives in World War II. And you think, well, look look at the bad behavior that caused all those miserable deaths. Well, let me say the big problem wasn't the bad behavior, wasn't the terrible actions, because the actions were only a fruit. What was behind the actions was a root, and the root was a belief that people held to, a certain way of thinking, a certain belief system that led to those actions. You see, the big problem in our souls, it isn't, it, it, in our lives, isn't necessarily the actions we do, it's the beliefs that motivate those actions. Now, if that's the devastation that can happen in a war because of wrong beliefs, and we saw in the news this week some people having wrong beliefs or misinformation, we see a terrible situation where people, uh, they, they, they ran into the capital in Washington through misinformation. It, isn't it interesting that if, if 
The devastating impact of wrong beliefs can result in such catastrophic results in a war. How much more will that have a negative impact, not just in the physical world, but in our spiritual world, in our spiritual realm, in our inner person? You see, believing the wrong things about God will result in you being eternally, spiritually lost. Believing the right things about God results in you having eternal life and a relationship with God. That's how important it is. And that's why Jesus was so strong in his language. No, no, you're a wolf if you're using uh, lies and portraying them as truths and leading people astray. Jesus was merciless when it came to this. I mean, it says in 2 Corinthians about Satan, the, the devil himself, and it says in 2 Corinthians 11, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It's the same, something very similar. Uh, there, is a, there is a guise they're coming under. They're coming under the guise of someone who's portraying the truth, and yet they're portraying lies. Satan is a master deceiver, and so are people who operate in his name unwittingly or wittingly. Uh, Satan will often not just tell the big bad lies, he will typically tell half-truths. He will mix lies in with kind of Christian-y sounding truths. And that's what makes it very hard to recognize. Let me illustrate it with some arrows. So if you have three arrows, first arrow is truth. And that's going in a very clear direction. Now you have in the opposite direction to truth, you have the arrow marked lie. Now it's very easy to recognize the lie because one's saying this, and the other's saying completely the opposite, truth and lie. But something that's more subtle and potentially definitely more dangerous is a few degrees off truth because it's a little bit subtle. The few degrees off arrow, it's, it's not going the opposite way to truth, it's just a few degrees off. And yet if you follow those arrows in their future trajectory, you end up in two totally different places. And the subtly two degree off arrow is very hard to perceive and therefore it's very deceptive. Jesus warns of something that is worse than a wolf, and that is a wolf in sheep's clothing, in disguise. Now, in the early church, um, we see there were many false prophets and false teachers. Here's, here's some examples. The apostle Paul, and you can see him in the book of Acts dealing with these people, and in the book of Galatians, he tackled this very issue he dealt with these people called the Judaizers. And what they were trying to do is they were saying, okay, to go to heaven, to have salvation, you need Jesus. Yes, you need Jesus. Plus, obedience to the law equals salvation. So you, you get Jesus and you follow the law and you get, you get circumcised like a Jew and, and then that leads to salvation. And Paul was saying, whoa, 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 that's not the gospel. Because it's not Jesus plus anything equals salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing, just Jesus equals salvation. And so there was a false uh, prophet in that time, the, the Judaizers. And the modern day equivalent of that would be the seven-day Adventist movement who mix Old Testament thinking with New Testament thinking and package them together in the salvation package. That's an error. That's a two degrees off. And then there was a guy at the time in the early church in his, church history called Marcion. And Marcion, he, he read the Old Testament. And he saw some of the challenging bits in the Old Testament. And he thought, hmm, the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New Testament. And he said that you've got the bad God of the Old Testament and you've got the good God of the New Testament. And you think, wow, that's not, that really is not the case. 
and yet that thinking is still around today. Uh, then you have that another guy in, in the early church called Arius. Arius believed that Jesus, well, if Jesus is the son of God, uh, he, he's the son to the father, then like every son, he had a beginning. He, had, he was created. And therefore, there was a point where Jesus was not. He wasn't eternal. He, he, was, he came into being and therefore was of, he was of different nature to God. And that heresy that, that Jesus isn't the eternal son of God, but he was a created son of God, that heresy is exactly the same heresy today we see with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons who believe that Jesus is not God, but he's of, of a, a divine being, definitely, but not God. That's a heresy. Now, the crazy thing is, when you meet a Jehovah's Witness on your door, and they'll often knock your door, they will come across as very sincere, very earnest. They will pull out a Bible. They won't pull out the satanic Bible. They'll pull out a Bible that resembles your Bible. It will have Genesis in it. It'll have the Gospels in it. And yet their message is very different. Two degrees off, but a totally different Jesus they are presenting. Every generation has false teachers. Every generation has false prophets. Let's go back to the verses. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Wow. These were people who said all the right things. In fact, they did all the right things as well. And yet they didn't have a relationship with God. Do you know God? I'm not saying do you say all the right things or even do you do even the dramatic things? But do you know him? Do you actually know and love God? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with God? And here Jesus says, to the, he gives them the ultimate judgment. And the ultimate judgment, the hell of hells, is this. He says, I never knew you, depart from me. The punishment of punishments is depart from me. To lose him is to literally be cut off from the source of life itself. John Doan, a, a poet and a lawyer from the 1600s, described it in this way. He said, when all is done the hell of hells, the torment of torments, is the everlasting absence of God and the everlasting impossibility of returning to his presence. To fall out of the hands of the living God is a horror beyond our expression, beyond our imagination. Depart from me, Jesus said. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, having said that, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you do declare him to be Lord. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, listen to this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you can't enter a relationship with God and salvation without trusting in Jesus who died for you on the cross and rose again and without declaring him as your Lord. And yet, the words, just merely the words, Lord, Lord, just saying the words isn't the magic abracadabra formula. It's the words coming from a heart that says, you actually are my Lord. I am actually submitting to you and believing and trusting in you. It's not enough to say the words. So 
again, let me ask you, do you know God? Have you made him your Lord? Not, not just said the words or prayed some prayer, but have you actually yielded yourself to him as Lord? And do you trust him as your Savior? This is of paramount, it's of eternal importance. Now, notice the shift in the verses. Notice he goes from warning us against the false prophets, you know, <laughs> avoid the false prophets. They come to you in, wolf, in their wolves in sheep's clothing. But now he flips it to point out that actually you could become one. <laughs> you could be one of those people who says, Lord, Lord, you do all the good stuff, you prophesy and you do miracles and all that, and yet you don't actually know me. So he flips it. See, there's a double-edged sword. One danger is avoid the false prophets, and the other danger is don't become one. So that's where it now comes to the point that Jesus made. He said in verse, Matthew 7, verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. So how do you make sure that you and I don't fall into that category of we've ended up in error, a false prophet or a false teacher? And how do you and I protect ourselves from being influenced by people who are false teachers? Well, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. So we've got to look for those fruits in our own lives and also look out for the fruits in the lives of others, right? So, but let me just first of all tell you what the negative fruits aren't. The bad fruit Jesus is talking about isn't bad behavior, okay? If it's like, all right, yeah, I heard of this preacher and he had a, had a, a moral failure. He must have been a false teacher. Or I heard of this uh, pastor of some church who did something dodgy with money. He must, he, no, no, that's not, that, th- th- those aren't good things, but that's not what he's talking about. I know that because if you were going to say it's morally bad behavior is the bad fruit, then you would have to discount every single hero in the Bible. <laughs> so David was morally failed. Uh, Peter denied Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 talks about personal, private struggling with sin. So if it was to do with moral behavior, then we wouldn't have any heroes in the Bible. And all of those people went on to bear good fruit. So that's, it's not primarily talking about that. It's talking about something much more subtle. And let me give you five things I think are to do with the five types of bad fruit you've got to watch out for in the lives of others, but also in your own life. And they come in the form of questions. So the first one is this. What's the agenda? What's the agenda? It says in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, the word ravenous there in the Greek, it means to seize by force, to snatch up suddenly. It's talking about taking something. And that's the agenda. It's a, it's a take agenda. A wolf takes. It, it tries to um, satisfy its own greeds. It takes. Whereas a shepherd, a good shepherd, gives. In fact, a good shepherd ultimately will prioritize the well-being of the sheep even above their own life. Jesus is the ultimate good shepherd. And he said in John chapter 10, verse 10 and 11, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. See, the thief comes to take, the good shepherd comes to give. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, in our minds, we have this image of a sheep that's been mortally wounded by a wolf. It's been, it's been bitten at, and it's, it's now limping because of its injuries and wounds. Um, but, you know, the sad thing and the tragic thing is I've seen sheep, believers, 
genuine believers who have been, I would, I would describe they've been taken advantage of by ravenous wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're not limping. In fact, they're quite happy. And that is so disturbing to me. Uh, and as a pastor, it's one of the pains I have is having known people who used to have a genuine, just awesome faith that today they're, they're nowhere. And, I, and it wasn't just by accident. They're nowhere because they started exposing themselves to other influences. And I've seen it. And, and they're like wolves. They're like, they're like sheep that have been wounded by wolves, but they're perfectly happy. And yet you've been devoured by a wolf. I can think of a guy who years ago I had the privilege of leading him to faith in Jesus and I actually prayed for him and I remember the moment where he was filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. He had a genuine encounter of God, genuine faith. But then uh, we kind of both went on separate ways in life and, and he ended up living in another place, living down in Newcastle. And he started connecting with a different group of Christians. And man, some of the things they were saying was concerning. And it, I remember meeting him years later and he was in a totally different place. He was sleeping with his girlfriends. He still had this vague faith in Jesus. I'm telling you what, he lost that awesome, cutting-edge, passionate faith he used to have. And I think, oh man, it's not just like, oh, I've just just mellowed a bit. No, you've lost something so important. I I think of a girl who used to be a leader in our church. She, She actually went to Bible college. I remember she used to care for new believers and help them grow. And then she started getting quite closely associated with a couple who had been on the edge of our church for a number of years, and they started leading her astray. Genuinely, I just saw it. And I, I used to talk to her about this, but today she's not connected with church. She's really nowhere with the Lord, and my heart absolutely breaks. These wolves have just devoured, and yet they take away from the flock. You see, the agenda of an ungodly leader is to take the agenda of a Christ-like leader is to give, to lay your life down for the sheep and to root for them. And the most important thing for a sheep is their faith. Let me ask you the personal question, and me too. Are you a taker or are you a giver? What's your agenda when you're around people? You want to get something from them. Or you think, man, I want to bless them. What's your agenda? Next question is, is the inspiration human or divine? You know, do you prioritize your thoughts and your words, or do you prioritize God's thoughts, God's words? Um, The Apostle Peter had a very strange interaction with Jesus one day. Jesus had just been describing to his disciples about how they were going to Jerusalem and that he would be arrested, he would be mistreated, and he would be crucified, and he would die. And on the third day, he would rise again. He's describing this to his disciples before it ever happened, and they were freaked out. And the apostle Peter, understandably, in, it's described for us in Matthew 16, Peter, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, You do not have your mind on the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, we we kind of look on and think, well, I kind of get why Peter said that. He was saying, no, I love you, Jesus. You're not going to die. And yet that human sympathy made him vulnerable to actually giving voice. He didn't realize it, but he gave voice to actually a satanic thought. And that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, let's be honest. How many times have you felt something or thought something, which retrospectively you realize Mm, that was 100% wrong. 
okay? I was feeling those feelings, but I was, they were so totally out of tune with reality. Or I was thinking those thoughts, and it really wasn't reality. And so feelings and emotions and thoughts really aren't an accurate gauge of truth. Let me give you an example, a very practical example how uh, this can lead to false teaching. So there was a movie put out in 2018 called Love is Tolerance and Tolerance is Love. And on the surface, we think, yeah, love is tolerance. Yeah. Partially, no, that's not true. And yet, that's what society is saying, that love is tolerance and tolerance is love. That's really not true. If you compare that, that thought to what God thinks, which is in the Bible, let me give you an example, Revelation 3.19. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. <laughs> so, Jesus, apparently for Jesus... Jesus expressed love by intolerance. I'm not tolerating that behavior because I love you. Isn't that interesting that a a very humanistic, plausible sounding thought is actually completely contrary to Jesus? You know, if I was a car mechanic and I saw you driving along and I knew your brakes were failed, I I wouldn't be tolerant. Oh no, just be tolerant. Just each to their own. No, because I love you. I'd say, you need to change that car because love is not tolerance. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and here's what all preachers and all leaders and all believers should do. One, Second Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The challenge for every preacher, it's not to preach your opinions or your thoughts. I mean, that would be easy, right? that make you popular, right? But to preach the, the Bible, preach God's word, God's thoughts. And, and by the way, if I'm, when I, my authority is only insofar as much as I am under authority. If I ever preach something that's not the Bible, then you have permission to ignore me. If I'm preaching the Bible, then listen up. And that's how we should approach truth. You know, apparently in banks, those who are trained to recognize counterfeit money are actually trained with real money. They spend their time studying real notes. They spend the time, the texture of real money, the smell of real money, the feel, the detailed design in real money. And so when a false note or a fake uh, fraudulent note passes through their hands, they instantly recognize it. Now, they don't recognize the false by studying the false. You don't recognize false spirituality by becoming an expert in cults or studying false theology. No, you recognize the false by studying the real. You spend time in the truth, in the Bible, and that's what then prepares you. Jesus said in John 10, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So my encouragement to you is just hang out in the real. Do yourself a favor. Every day, read your Bible. Just every day. You don't need to read tons and tons. Just read some. Fill your heart with truth every single day. Read the Bible. Be plugged into a Bible-teaching church. That, that in itself provides safety around our souls. Third question is, What's the attitude? Here's a unique verse, and this verse actually describes the fall of Satan at the very beginning when he rebelled against God. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. 
I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. This was Satan's pride. He desired, basically, Satan was an angel, and he desired to be God. And in doing so, he moved out of a place of um, blessing into a place of great sin, and he rebelled, and he caused a mutiny, and that was the beginning of this being we know, Satan. And he has since then been deceiving the world. Satan fell in pride, but it was also the fall of human beings was in pride. It was interesting, Adam and Eve's sin was the exact same sin. They wanted to be like God, and that was the very sin that Satan put in front of them. The downfall of man is pride. It says in James chapter 3, verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So if you have leaders or people with selfish ambition, and this is where we've got to check our own hearts, right? Do we have selfish ambition? Because that's pride. It's interesting, it says, there is every evil thing. <laughs> every evil thing? Serious? Yeah. Uh-huh. Every evil thing where you find selfish ambition. Because pride is demonic. And it opens the way spiritually to a lot of darkness. How can you tell a humble leader? How can you tell? By the way, it's nothing to do with their personality type. Oh, they're an introvert. They must be humble. No, no. You can have an introvert or an extrovert who's humble. Okay. How can you tell a humble leader? Well, let me suggest to you, there's a grace of God on them. It says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a grace of God on a humble leader. Now, here's the, here's the interesting subtlety. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. It's interesting, a few moments ago, I talked to us about the importance of being people of the Bible that we would know the Bible and we'd grow in our faith and then we'd be able to recognize the the error. But here's a subtle warning, and this is what even good things can become bad things for us. Ironically, I've seen some people who become Bible people and they love the Bible so much that they become hotheads. (laughs) They become judgmental, heavy hotheads. And they just go, they're like heresy hunters. And they, they become so heavy and serious and intense and it's almost like they've, they've got to know the Bible so much they become full of themselves and they start looking down on others. And I've seen this. And this is the crazy irony. This is the subtle, this is how weak we are as human beings. We, we can slip into one side or the other. Uh, it's good to be Bible people. I've already said that. That's the best thing you can do for your soul. But do that with a humility. Do that with a childlike faith. Don't let it become, make it, you into arrogant hotheads. And what happens is I've seen people become mature in their faith But in doing so, they've lost the beautiful, awesome, passionate, radical, childlike faith they had at the beginning. That's not maturity. That's arrogance. And that's not what God is looking for. Satan could quote the Bible. The fourth thing you've got to look out for, the fourth negative fruit is, is it provoking faith or fear? Clarity or confusion? 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia... Stay there in Ephesus so that, I, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies such as, as, as promoting controversial speculations rather than advancing the work of God, which is by faith. So here, he, he, Paul, in that day and age, they would have been on Twitter, almost certainly. They would have been on Twitter. Here's the question. What's the fruit that's stirred up in you when you're hanging out with this particular person or listening to this person? Is it stirring up in you fear, speculation, 
and endless questions? Or is that ministry or that teaching stirring in you faith and love for God? All right, I had a phone call this week from one of our precious church members who had a genuine question. Peter, should I take the vaccine? That's, that's been, I, I work in the, I'm in the healthcare sector. I'm being offered the vaccine. Should I take it? And the reason she asked the question is because she had a friend say, I've heard that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. In fact, her friend was clear, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Now, you may have heard that. Let me just be crystal clear with you. I said, to her, I said this to her as well. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Nothing near it, okay? So, yeah, so I answered that. But isn't that crazy that so much conspiracy theory can go on around different things in our world and it's perpetuated by social media? Folks, chill. Um, is the person emphasizing things that the Bible doesn't emphasize? That's another thing as well. And I've seen this, people majoring on the minors. And here's some typical examples. Ministries... All they talk about is demons or spiritual warfare. Or all they talk about is Israel, Israel, Israel. Or all they talk about is the end times. Or all they talk about is prosperity. It's, I mean, all of those things are in the Bible, absolutely. But the Bible doesn't major in any of them. They are minors, whereas God does major on other things. So we should be the same. By majoring on the minors, even though they're biblical, you've moved into error. Fifthly, and this is the most important one, is the spotlight on Jesus. Jesus describing the Holy Spirit said this, John 15, 26, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus, stirs faith in Jesus, cause people to fall in love with Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't there to make you look good. <laughs> the Holy Spirit isn't even there to make himself look good. His mission, the Holy Spirit's mission, is to put that spotlight squarely on Jesus Christ. And so here's the question. When you hang out with that person or that church or that ministry or that do you feel more close to Jesus? Are you falling in more and more in love with Jesus? Are you thinking great thoughts about Jesus? Are you trusting him more? Do you love him more? That's a good fruit. I mean, you've got to ask yourself the question, and I do too personally. When people hang out with you, when people hang out with me, do they go away thinking more about Jesus? Are they pointed to Jesus? Because that's the agenda of the Holy Spirit, and that's the work of God. You know, one of the places I love visiting in the world is India. I love India. I so love. I love Indian people. I love. Uh, I love being there to be with the pastors that we that we work with there. I love the curry. Absolutely love the curry in India. But you know, one of the greatest reasons I love traveling to India is I get to travel with my friend Ivan. And Ivan is a, he's a seventy-year-old Italian, and he just loves Jesus. And when I hang out with Ivan, I feel closer to Jesus. It's one of the highlights for me. I love everything else. I love the curries. I love all that. But hanging out with Ivan is such a joy because I feel closer to Jesus. I mean, one simple gauge, and I'm going to end, leave, leave you with this, is a triangle. And the question you've got to ask is, if Jesus is at the top of the triangle, and if you're here in the left-hand corner, and the person who's influencing you are in the right-hand corner, as you get closer to that person, are you also simultaneously getting closer to Jesus? As you get closer to that person, are you getting closer to Jesus? 
or is the opposite happening when you hang out with that person you're going further away from Jesus by the way that's a good gauge not just for whether or not you should trust in ministry but it's also a good gauge as to whether or not you should marry that person or whether or not they should be an influential friend in your life are they causing you to be closer to Jesus because that is the work of the Holy Spirit let's pray God thank you so much for the Bible oh Lord we love you we thank you for your love for us And Lord Jesus, we've just read some really tough words. You've called people wolves in sheep's clothing. And you've warned us that there could be people who say, Lord, Lord, and yet you never knew them. And Lord, we would rather hear these things from you now so that we could readjust rather than hearing them from you at the end when we stand before you. I just pray for me and for my friends joining today that Lord, we truly would know you, that we would walk with you that we walk with a humility, not a pride, that we would love the Bible, but not become hotheads. We would truly mature and not lose our childlike simplicity, that God would guard us from errors to the right and to the left. You protect us from people who have mismotives and help us to be givers, not takers. Lord Jesus, all that I've described there is you, Lord Jesus. We want to be like you. Take a moment, folks, just pray. Maybe there's something I've shared that's just, it's really challenged you. Just take a moment to, just between you and God now talk to God about what you've heard while people are praying I want to give you an opportunity today if you haven't yet got a relationship with God I mentioned earlier that Jesus died for you on the cross he did it so you could have eternal life forgiveness and a new start if that's you today you're saying Peter I want that I want that relationship with God then this is your moment. Pray this prayer with me just now, just one line at a time. Pray after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe that you rose from the dead. Take first place in my heart. I declare Jesus is Lord of my life from this day forward. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. Amen.